This is Customer Experience Leaders, a podcast produced by Rated. It's a show where we reveal the secrets of how great brands delight their customers. Our customers are not looking for us to be a telco, pick up the phone, send a text. They're comparing us to the Netflixes, the Amazons. What they're saying to us is that we need you to be at the center of our digital life. That's the voice of Charles Weiser. He's the head of customer experience at Optus, one of Australia's largest telecommunications providers. I'm your host, Adam Jaffrey. And I'm Michael Momsen. So, Michael, thinking about life today, um, our mobile phones and Wi-Fi access points are our window into the world. And there's not many brands which have more of an impact on our day-to-day lives than our phone providers. This is very true. I mean, I would say that, um, you know, the telcos almost surpassed your hot water supplier. <laughs> like true. You could probably go down with hot water for half a day, but could you really go without uh, your mobile phone and your internet working for half a day? You know, it's, it's, it's more critical than ever before. And so, Charles has an important job. He leads customer experience transformation for Optus's 9.4 million customers across retail, direct and online channels. And so, not only is Optus striving to provide the basics like predictable bills and a stable network, which is expected of them, but they're also having to deal with the fundamental business shifts of changing customer expectations. And so, today, we talked to Charles about how customer expectations are changing and what that means for Optus. Charles tells us how Optus has built a culture designed to delight customers at every opportunity by predicting things before customers even expect them. And we learn how Optus approaches customer complaints and how those customers often end up happier with the brand afterwards. And we start our conversation with Charles asking him about the best customer experience that he recently had. We went to Disney and uh, I still find Disney, not just because it's iconic, but because it is truly relentless on almost a 24-7 basis as to how they represent the brand, how they treat their guests. They never seem harassed. The park is always immaculate. They are always respectful. And I I just marvel at how they keep that up on a consistent basis. If I then go for a bit more mundane towards home, I have been very impressed with Sydney Transport, Sydney Trains here in Sydney. I would say a few years ago, it was, excuse the pun, a bit of a train wreck. Um, (laughs) they, They didn't run on time. Staff were often, at best, nonchalant, at worst, surly, poor facilities. You can, you can, you know, you get the picture. The link to this is it's almost Disney-esque, which is the other day I was going uh, into town hall. I wasn't quite sure where I needed to change. I was looking up at the board and a Sydney Trains individual came by proactively and said, can I help you? I explained I need to change here and do this. And this guy, he said, take this train to this station. And then as I was walking away, he went, oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let me tell you the platform. That's symbolic of they are absolutely now like Disney relentless in this. And when I was on the train the other day, everyone's grumpy, you know, 7.30 in the morning going into the CBD. The guard comes on, I guess it's the guard, not the train driver, and says, oh, you know, uh, welcome everybody to Sydney Trains. Another beautiful day brought to you by Sydney Transport. And everyone looked up and smiled and got everyone in a really, in a really good mood. Um, so I, I've been impressed with them. And maybe just one other uh, is that when I was still in California, uh, I went to a, a grocery store, Sprouts, vegetable and fruit store. I got 
an employee there. He was talking to another employee. I asked him where this product was. He looked at me. He pointed and said, oh, it's over that side. I went, oh, it just came from that side. So I went back to the other side. I'm looking for this product. And I'm looking up. And the same guy goes, excuse me, sir. I look around. There's the guy. And he's got the product I was looking for. And he said, oh, look, I'm really sorry. Uh, you know, I, I was engaged with my colleague there. We had a problem. I should have taken you to this. I'm really sorry. Here it is. I got it for free. Wow. Because he did not take me to the horse. I can't remember what it was, the horseradish. <laughs> uh, it, it was terrific. And I felt in all those occasions, they were not harassed or hurried, and they had me in mind. Mm. One of the themes that we hear often on the show and even in the stories that you just shared was how important it is to go above customers' expectations. You know, you come mm. and you board a Sydney train, you have a certain expectation, you're not expecting mm. an attitude of Delta Airlines-esque <laughs> yeah. in how they execute. In terms of work history, you've worked at some some amazing brands, uh, British Airways, you know, Rams, uh, NAB are now um, leading customer experience at Optus. Out of interest, how have you seen customers' expectations change over time and what do you think that impact is? Customers have gone from give me convenience and a service that satisfies to anticipate what I want and delight me. And that has just raised the bar. You just have to look at the Netflixes, the Amazons, and the Nordstroms of this world. That's their mantra. You shouldn't have to guess at how we can provide you the best service. We're going to provide you that environment. We're going to help you through that. Everyone talks about Netflix and Amazon and all the platform businesses. Because they're new digital businesses, they actually have an advantage in customer experience. Well, you just have to look at someone like a Nordstrom's and know that that's not the case. That's just an excuse. And, and we often use these excuses to say, oh, well, we can't do that because we can't provide that platform. And when you talk about anticipate and delight, yes, there's an element which we can talk about in terms of uh, data, data architecture, but it also comes down to do you understand what your customer is looking for? But more importantly, what are their emergent needs? Can you get there before they get there mm. uh, and delight them in, in that process? We should just touch on technology for a moment and how you see that playing a, a role in these expectations, um, actually. Mm. And, and maybe even from an Optus perspective as well, like what you've sort of seen in terms of the demand for technology, you know, as it relates to customer experiences. Sure. Well, let me um, back up just a bit and digress to give you the context of where technology fits. Uh, as you mentioned before, I have been in the airline industry. I have been in banking. And although those industries are being disrupted and are exploiting and leveraging technology, there is nothing like I've ever seen in terms of the telco industry. The telco industry is not being disrupted. It's being displaced. And it's being <laughs> displaced at a rate of knots. The shifts are just seismic. So we talked about, you know, our customers are not looking for us to be a telco, pick up the phone, send a text. They're comparing us to the Netflixes, the Amazons, the Spotify's of this world. And again, they don't want us to be the Spotify. But what they're saying to us is that we need you to be at the center of our digital life. We are, you know, we are as a family or a small business. 24-7. We have different needs. Don't treat us as one. We have 15 devices in the house and we watch different things. Uh, and, and, and again, broadcasting is the same. We digress there. Broadcasting is, is itself being displaced. There's no such thing as a TV anymore. TV is what you watch. And so for us, when we look at our strategy in this seismic shift, and we started a number of years ago, 
technology is at the very center of that. Yes, in some ways, it's a facilitator, but it's also the driver. It's not the excuse why we can't deliver. It has to be the reason why we deliver. So the way we look at it here is that before we get to the technology side, um, yes, it, it permits speed and agility, uh, but the real change that needs to happen first is, is, is with the data. Data is the lifeblood of the business uh, and, uh, and the technology that's changed now. And it, it is just mind boggling, just the amount of ingestion from, you know, the, the terabytes a minute that a network absorbs, that a CRM analyzes. You know, this is now uh, affordable. It's malleable, if you will, and it's distributable. Um, and so, you know, what we're, what we're looking at is, uh, the first things first is get our data architecture right, get our, our data strategy right. Then we can do, um, the game changing anticipatory CX that we want to get to. And all the technology now is enabling that data. Uh, I mean, really it's a data revolution and it's a bit of an arms race as well. Uh, being able to, get the right data that's meaningful in a sea of, of noise. And, and that's, that really is on the critical path to exploiting and delivering the right technology solution for the CX that, that we're looking for. Can I actually just touch on something that you mentioned there, Charles? You talked about comparing Optus, the business that you work in, to brands like Netflix and Amazon mm. and, and Apple mm. and Uber, right? The, the kind mm, of correct. what we call are the, you know, the leaders in CX. If I was to have an issue with my telco um, and say, you know, hypothetically, I was with Optus and, you know, my connection went down or whatever, I wouldn't be comparing Optus to Amazon or Netflix. I'd be comparing them to Telstra and Vodafone because they're the competitors within that industry. So, I want to kind of just understand your thinking about why why you're comparing to the, the big giants that don't even play in this space. If I have a query with my bill or there's latency in the network, those are really just the hygiene factors that we still need to get right. You have a, a called a baseline, and you're quite right. That baseline is if my bill's erroneous or I don't have a good connection to my network or I've got pixelation, all the strategies in the world won't mask that issue. And, and so when we look at our own pain points, we're, we, we, we don't ignore them. They're not absent in that strategy. When we talk to our customers and they're talking about what they need from us in their digital life, it is they expect those to be flawless, almost in the background, set and forget. And, and we still have work to do in that. And that's, you know, we are, as an example, we're spending a very large amount of money on replatforming our CRM and billing engines just for that purpose. But we're doing it in a digital sense where that is then going to be off the back of that. Once we have that, uh, those hygiene factors stable, as it were, We'll then be able to understand, ah, what's the next best activity we can recommend to this customer based on their usage, their family plan, their issues they've had in the past. So sometimes it could be the phone they have can't keep up with, say, a 4G or a 5G once you get 5G. We have that data and we can diagnose that and understand, ah, let's not just let this happen again and again, because that's why there's a net, quote unquote, an issue here. Issues not with the networks, with the phone. Let us help that customer through understanding how to optimize and get the best out of the Optus network or how best to make sure that the bill, you know, reflects accurately the usage that they are looking to achieve from the plan that they have. So there's a lot we can do with intelligence, even in, I'll call it legacy platforms. But for us, 
We need to get that right, but we need to move beyond that. So when you're playing, when they complain about a poor online experience, first thing that comes to their mind, quite rightly, is, well, Netflix, I don't have this experience from Netflix. How come I'm getting this with you? Or, you know, if they don't have the, the in-store experience that they're looking for now, and we're not in the U.S., but again, a Nordstrom's personalization in terms of that environment is something that we aspire to do. So we're, we're, we're getting the baseline right, but we want that baseline to be an enabler of the strategy. I find it really interesting, actually, that you say that, you know, the, the network issues or the, the billing issues are actually just hygiene. You know, you should automatically be getting those right. And then all mm. these anticipatory AI-driven, you know, data-driven things are what you're working towards. What I'd like to ask is, how do you balance those two priorities then? Because, you know, the anticipatory future thinking, awesome, amazing CX stuff is great. But if you do that and you fail at all the hygiene stuff, yeah, or you wait. Yeah, exactly. You wait on hold 45 minutes for the bill, but then you had something else that was delightful. There's still greater pain yeah. than there is upside. Two areas to address there. One is it's not a linear progression. So we actually have to do these concurrently because if we can't get some of those hygiene factors right, then the services we wish to our customers wish us to offer will never materialize because you just can't, they won't be practical. Equally, there are areas of our business that we need ourselves to disrupt because, again, we have aspects that are legacy that we actually can um, you know, automate or that we can uh, be far more productive at. Uh, you know, the old saying, we've always done it this way, so why do we continue to do it this way? Luckily, we don't have that mindset here. In fact, I think probably the opposite of this is we, you know, and what makes my job uh, it's so much easier is... Um, you know, we have a saying here that everyone's the head of CX, not just Charles Weiser. And we, we kind of live by that. And everybody here, we, we really, in some ways, we actually have to prioritize and say, well, hang on, what are we going to fix and remediate first? Which aspects of the strategy is going to come in, in, in which sequence? We started off as a challenger brand. You know, we're no longer a challenger. We're actually a, a market competitor and we're overfighting our weight. The enthusiasm for the strategy is to kind of knock us over the top. And, uh, when you look at, Getting the basics right, getting the basics right is fundamental to getting the right strategy. The right strategy needs the basics. So you can't wait on the basics, but you can't get so far ahead in the strategy that you can't deliver. You mentioned there that everybody is the head of CX, not just Charles Weiser. Amazing, yep. amazing quote. Um, but how do you actually do that from a from a framework um, point of view? How do you build a culture and how do you- How do you operationalize it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a number of layers to this. I, I think the first is communication from the senior exec that we don't step over issues, that we take ownership, whether it be issues or, or a customer in front of us, where, where are the back office, front office? And that narrative has to itself be almost relentless. And so I spend a lot of time with that. That's kind of one layer. There's also another layer, which is when we talk about operationalizing it, being able to have in place transparent measures that everybody can see from whichever angle they can, they can view it. And, you know, the way I describe it is, is success leaves clues. And we have you know, a number of forms around the business, one being a customer council where we look at key strategies, areas of remediation that are measured in minute detail from a CX point of view or productivity point of view, depends on, on what the initiative is. And it's not the forum running that, it's actually the teams on the ground. So we actually have initiatives that are owning these imperatives 
they have capital, they have operating budget, and they're actually delivering some very meaty, very substantive, very material outcomes for which they are recognized through these measurements and through these communications. The third is we share joint uh, success criteria. So those in product through to digital, through to our service centers, into retail, we have a common NPS target. We have right. common productivity initiatives. We actually share the success or the, or the lack therein and stand together and then work with our teams to say, Hey, you know, this is, this is, the, this is where we actually need to create the right messaging for the right outcome. If it's not there or depending on what the, um, what the, the initiative is. You've mentioned several times the importance of one of the core system changes to a new CRM. Yes. Um, as, as probably worth mentioning this actually, and just, mm. you know, for some of our listeners who aren't aware, like, you know, in big enterprises, everything lies in terms of the customer data in the CRM, uh, has all the history and what have you. And it's, it's pretty normal for, yeah, really big companies to have stuff that's like 30 years old. <laughs> Telstra famously did it, I think, you know, five, six years ago where they spent a ton of money to, you know, redo their core. A lot of the banks, uh, NAB as well, mm-hmm. invested heavily. I mean, it, it often becomes like close to billion dollar projects. Yeah. It's no small feat when Optus says we need a new CRM. It's not like a small business saying, <laughs> hey, let's, right. uh, let, let's dump this small business CRM and, and let's go to Salesforce. It's, it's, it's a pretty big deal. Can you just touch on what that is and why that's so important and why Optus customers can be excited about having this new platform in terms of how you have this you know, new single shiny view of the customer? Sure. The CRM uh, that we're putting in it's called Jarvis, and it's not a coincidence that it's called Jarvis. Okay. We, had a, we had a contest <laughs> to name it. And uh, so it you know comes from you know the the, the movie of the of, uh, of the same relation. The importance for us of the CRM is really threefold. The first is it updates our billing system so that it is more accurate and in many ways more flexible than, as you said, a, a legacy stack that's been around for decades. Uh, and that provides all sorts of opportunities for us to be able to include over the top billing so our customers can have all their technology billing in one place through their Optus bill. And, and that's, you know, like a Netflix. And that's, that's a, something we can't do today and, and a great convenience. The second is it informs and, and uh, integrates with our loyalty program called Perks. And Perks is not your typical frequent flyer program. It's, it's very data-driven, understands you know, what your requirements are, what your needs are. And this CRM builds up this type of uh, profile if you love Chelsea, it's not going to send you tickets uh, to Manchester United when they're when they're playing in, in Sydney. So again, the CRM allows us to do that. It's kind of an enabler for next best activities. So if you are a, you know, we talked earlier about a, a customer who might be on the network, might not be having the best experience. We have diagnostics in our phones to allow us to understand how the network is performing. We will be able to take those diagnostics, understand where they were in the network, and perhaps if you're online or you're talking to one of our call center uh, service reps, they will see this in the CRM and see you've got old technology and we see you might be coming out of plan. Perhaps we can help you get a better experience on the network, get you a better deal on a new plan, keep you as a customer and delight you at the same time. So this CRM in itself is a seismic shift for us. And then it, go- and it does you know the mundane things, which is we'll be able to see your entire household account. You will then be able to take people on and off as you see fit, split your bills, 
all the flexibility that you deserve as a customer. And, and it's, it's already changing the way we are thinking about communicating with our customers. So that is in itself, the critical path is the data architecture, the data strategy, having the right uh, insight tools for both structured and, and unstructured data. And this is just kind of an enabler of that. And so we can see the next five, six, seven years of sales, marketing, and service, and CX strategy via this CRM. And it's, uh, it's going to revolutionize how we relate to our customers. When you have this new platform ready, you could literally drown in data sets, right? Everything yeah. from usage pattern on mobile, what services, what are they expressed interest in? Quite literally per customer, you could probably have upwards of 100,000 data points. Yes. Oh, easy. How do you actually work out what are the most important things that we need to get a handle on? Yeah. And then when you have that view, how do you then uh, decide what is it that you're going to proactively anticipate or proactively uh, delight? If we step back, we talked earlier about knowing where the pain points are. So you know, uh, amongst the priorities that we have, and, and, and it's something that maybe never go away in any large organization or any organization, is that using the insights from this data to understand what actually is driving this dissatisfaction. Because sometimes you just don't know. You know, it's, it, Sometimes this is an unintended consequence of another factor that was not visible to you. So what we're able to do in our, we talked about the customer council, be able to use that data to say, ah, I understand this issue is now further upstream. Ah, that's the, that's the key point. And then we can spin up a, a remediation to, 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 to address that. The other aspect uh, of that is in terms of our strategy, it's a lot about personalization. Uh, we talked before how it's moved from being convenience and service to anticipate and delight. A lot of that latter is about personalization. And so when I talk about data strategy or data architecture and data strategy, a lot of our priority is to provide a service and experience that is fit for purpose or is even one that's emerging that you as a customer might not have have understood that you needed just yet. And so we put a lot of time and effort in future ways of communicating and relating to our customers that uses that technology with that use that data in that technology to personalize the experience and so um, you know the kind of the hierarchy that would be definitely to personalize make sure that we're getting it right and then from there kind of you know repeat as as time goes on I love how you started with knowing the pain point. You know, I would have thought it would have been tempting to get all these data points and then do all these like fancy, you know, new things on top. But actually, all these data points just get a better view of right. what customers are doing and how they're behaving. And then the the baseline is let's try to figure out all the biggest pain points and let's get them out of the way and then we can do the fancy stuff on top. We're starting to look at what I think euphemistically is called journey analytics, uh, which is really quite exciting, at least from my professional point of view, where... As an example, you can look at a customer's experience with Optus if they touch any Optus system or have any interaction with us. So as an example, understanding pain points before even the customer knows them or things that are happening that aren't large enough but might become more systemic. So I'm just making this up, but we'd be able to see a customer who buys an iPhone in Blacktown. Then the next thing we see is they've called the call center but then they've downloaded the app. They've called the call center again. Maybe they've gone back into the store. Then they call the call center. Then they might pay a bill. We can see all these, these journeys and we can delve down into them. 
And then when we delve down and then we might be able to see, okay, well, that's an interesting instance, but then we can aggregate it up. Then we can go, well, that's interesting. Um, iPhones bought in Blacktown, they're five times more likely to call the call center and complain and not download the app. Why is that? That's interesting. We didn't, not on our radar. I use that example in that we can then say, well, no, maybe that's a communications issue or ah, maybe they're not buying the right plan. Maybe it's during a promotional period where, you know, we didn't necessarily connect correctly with our, I, I don't know, you know, but the point is we come back to that aspect might not be a pain point, might be an inconvenience, but one, it's not good enough. And two, let's not make it a pain point in the future. So, Charles, welcome to the quick fire round where we hit you with questions and you have 10 seconds to answer each of them. <laughs> it's really uh, the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Go. What brand do you look up to? Netflix. Very good. What uh, skill are you terrible at? Golfing. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's a tough one to get good at. What's... Books have made an impact on you and why? The Road uh, by Cormac McCarthy uh, reminds me of the importance of family and fatherhood. Uh, What's your guilty pleasure? Pork scratchings. (laughs) (laughs) Not helping my cholesterol one bit, but I just, I get a bag and they're they're scarfed. (laughs) Charles, what's the best advice you've ever received? Trust yourself. I like that. It's nice and nice and simple. Very good. Uh, any favorite podcasts or, or YouTube channels? Probably pronounce her name wrong, but Brene Brown. I find her style engaging and I find her content really thought-provoking and something I don't do enough of in terms of <laughs> sitting and reflecting on, you know, those types of topics. What makes you feel accomplished? Providing my family a, a loving and safe environment. And also, I think being, if I flip that to the side of the coin in my my work environment, being part of a team where I'm valued and I've made a contribution. That's great. Uh, Describe an ideal weekend for you. Being with my kids uh, in whatever activity we're doing on a Saturday, uh, having a nice, relaxing gin and tonic and meal with my wife that night, and playing golf Sunday morning, and coming back and having, in the winter, a Sunday roast or some time at the beach uh, if it's a really nice uh, nice Sunday. With some pork cracklings. With some pork cracklings, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you need to work on those golf strokes a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes. A lot of the stuff that we've spoken about today has been about delighting customers and about you know implementing systems to predict what's happening with them. How do you deal with things when they don't quite go right? If I go a bit further back in my career, uh, when I was at British Airways, I was the head of customer relations there. We found through our research and our own analytics at the time, and this is, this is a bit dated, there wasn't things, such a thing as big data back then, but we actually found our customers, after things went wrong, if we sorted it out, were actually more loyal as time went by because they recognized there's a human element to this, we we're being authentic, we made amends, and that you know, we're human. We're, you know, we're, we're human, as I said. Interestingly, fast forward now, you know, 20 years, we find the same, that if customers call in 
and we resolve the issue, the NPS when they exit is higher. And it almost seems counterintuitive. You know, we, we, someone said the other day, we don't want a strategy of, you know, purposely messing everything up so we can have higher NPS. Um, <laughs> that's a fast track to nowhere. But your question is, how do we deal with it? We are, I like to think, approachable, very human, and we're very responsive. So, you know, as an example, the other day, I, you know, we met through the article that I was interviewed for the magazine. There were some really nice uh, comments on there, which is always flattering about your, your business. But there are also some ones in there which weren't so good because it was my name on the article. It could have been anybody from Optus. I got in touch with these customers. We resolved these issues. And it's not about me, but culture here is about being open, about being human, about owning the issue. Uh, and you kind of can't teach that. You know, that's a, that's part of our DNA. And some of these things are very serious indeed. So, you know, we, we have mass service disruptions during the storms in, you know, far North Queensland. Now we have to prepare for those, anticipate for them. But we think, well, hang on, that's our, okay. The storm might be out of our control, but how can we ease the pain for our customers? So, you know, we're looking at launching things like, uh, dongles to help customers have home wireless connectivity during uh, like 50 gigs during the, you know, during the outages. And we try to be proactive in that sense. And so what we don't want to do is be tarred by some of our competitors who may have a, a different approach and still see it as a cost to the business. You know, clearly, we don't want to have the issues. But to us, it is actually a great opportunity to show what the Optus brand stands for and how we can actually you know, really be at the center of their digital life, whether they be you know, at a mass service disruption or, or a billing inquiry. So, telecommunications companies usually field a lot of complaints um, when things aren't quite working properly. And, you know, the, the customer support center gets hit, you know, the, the phones and, um, you know, live chat and social media, that kind of thing. Often, the main reason that people will contact their telecommunications company is when something's going wrong. You know, like you don't, you don't reach out when everything's, uh, everything's fine. You kind of want the telco to disappear into the background of your life. So, how do you create really great customer experiences amongst all of that negativity? It's a very astute observation in that in the old telco world, the relationship was uh, I make phone calls and I get a bill. <laughs> that was it. No more. Yep. <laughs> um, can I add to that in this, and I'll come to how we relate to our customers. We actually have to, in many ways, double down on our network and infrastructure simply because the technology demands it in terms of what we want to deliver. So, you know, we cannot deliver these services without a world-class network, without minimal latency. That, And so, in many ways, what used to be our core business is is almost new again. You know, it's it's not the business that we're in, but it is actually a huge enabler for us to have a strategic uh, win for the direction we're going. But coming back to the customers, as opposed to phone calls and bills, we now ask our customers, okay, what's your lifestyle? They'll say, well, I'm a gamer. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, or I stream Netflix or I stream YouTube. Or no, you know, I just browse the internet. I just need email. Uh, I'm a small, a medium business. Uh, I travel a lot. I need to take calls 24-7. These are needs conversations that we've never had before. We used to have, oh, okay, uh, how much can you afford on your plan? How much data do you want? And now it's about who are you? How can we help you? And what do we have to enable that? And 
It might not seem like a big shift, but it is. When you've been doing something the same way for 30 odd years, one, customers are just used to saying, well, hey, I need a plan of $60. Oh, well, hang on. How do you use your internet? How <laughs> yeah. do you travel? Like a, I, th- um, I think all the conversations then was like, how many minutes do you need? Or you know, that's <laughs> the right. buckets of, you know, pick one of these plans. Oh, I think I'm going to make about X amount of phone calls. And that's sort of how you were, how you were picked. Those days are long gone. I mean, uh, there is no plan on Optus Mobile postpaid that's not limitless. One of the quotes you mentioned at the start was telcos aren't being disrupted, they're being displaced. Mm. Bombshell of a, of a line. Mm. I actually just wanted to unpack that a bit because it's pretty hard to displace the telco. Like, I can't, you know, fire up a very sophisticated network uh, overnight as a startup. <laughs> no, that is true. I could certainly you know, disrupt with maybe some billing innovation or some over-the-top services. Um, like, yeah, I just want to unpack that bombshell statement, telcos are not being disrupted, they're being displaced. If you were to talk to our CEO, uh, Alan Liu, who um, came here uh, about five years ago. Yeah, that's right. He saw this coming. And, you know, now we kind of take for granted the saying, which is, oh, telcos are just going to become dumb pipes. You don't, you never want to be in that place. And and the displacement is not necessarily in the kind of the capital and infrastructure. It's in the relationship. So oh, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. And and even and, and even so, we can't be complacent about that either. There are technologies out there around mesh technologies using you know mini you know mini cells, where perhaps in the future you don't need the big towers. Now, for the right. foreseeable future, you do. We've seen what's happened to the blockbusters, the Kodaks, you name it. Uh, we've got to be vigilant in this. But equally, yes, our you're, you're right. Our, come back to that. Our network is at the core of being able to deliver the strategy. But if we don't have that network to be world class, we can undertake and deliver the strategy, and we will be displaced. You said at the top, it's about owning the relationship. And so, if we sort of take the other telcos off the table for the now, you know, who do you see then as your competitors for that relationship? Is it the Googles and the Netflix? Because in some respects, some of the toys that sit on top of uh, the network are already doing elements of these things already, right? Whether it be stuff that Google Home's doing and Google Wi-Fi or whether it be what Apple's doing, uh, Amazon as well, like with Voice in the Home. How does Optus uh, as a network ensure that you've got the shiny things, but you get that competitive advantage like to have that great relationship to delight customers? I think all the companies you mentioned are in one way or another, almost part of the wider tech ecosystem with whom we share commercial relationships and, and customers as well, because customers, you know, they choose where they want to spend their time. The answer to that question might not be a sufficient one, but see how it goes, is that <laughs> sure. we've just got on this journey. And I think the Netflixes, uh, the Amazons, the Apples in this world, they've been doing this for, you know, five, ten years. We still have to earn the credibility of our customers we still have to prove out a lot of these technologies. So far, so good. Right. We also have to get to know our customers better in a new relationship where we knew them previously, still know them, but we're expanding that. And I think it's got to be clearly for their benefit that they see that this is worth providing more share of wallet or more eyeballs. And, you know, if we do our job right and we can have you see, you mentioned the, uh, we talk about billing system. Well, if you're having your OTT life all in your Optus bill, that's great because we can optimize that for you on our network. Hey, that's good. I, I like that. I can add more services. And then we have diagnostics. Again, I keep coming back to the data. We know how that performs in your home and we can help you adjust. 
once we were able to show that kind of depth of understanding, both on a transactional and, a, as you say, a strategic level, then, then I think we'll know we've been successful. It's an interesting shift because I remember, you know, I worked a lot with the telcos sort of over the last uh, five, 10 years. And there was almost this culture of being scared of the OTT players because it will take away the core of the relationship to all of a sudden, do you know what the OTT players, just for that terminology, it's a very telco terminology, over the top. So it's basically the apps and the services that you use on top of the internet service. So these players are actually, you know, it's obviously completely inevitable. You'll never be able to build anything better than Netflix um, (laughs) as an example. So the best way to do it is actually to partner with them and then help serve the customer up with those, get a better understanding of which services they like and then be proactive in that relationship and sort of say, well, these guys are good point and shoot players and they're an expert in that particular one. Sort of come to us and we can kind of bring bring it all together and then we can proactively recommend things that you need for your business or your or your family if, yes. if that's the, maybe the right way to sort of summarize it. It is. And if I build on your question around extending that relationship and gaining more of their trust over time, you know, you mentioned about Netflix. Well, we recognize this. We're not Netflix. We want to be compared to the Netflix, to Netflix. We made it a point of making sure our network was the fastest on their speed index because we recognized how important that was for our credibility. What are you most excited about in your role as head of CX at Optus in the next 12 months? I think there are three things. Uh, the first is when we talk about everyone being the head of CX, I get some personal pride from that because people are repeating it back to me. And uh, I love service businesses, been in them my whole life. And it's in, and I can kind of see the, the, the momentum building. People talk about customer experience. Uh, and that, and that's that uh, I find that really exciting. I think the second is we had a meeting, uh, the other day with, uh, our senior exec. And this was one of the, this gets back to the, the, the remediation aspect where there was a, an issue that there was a strategic issue that was being hindered by a remediation issue. And to make a long story short, what we came out of that uh, meeting agreeing is that, quote unquote, we will not make compromises in the customer experience, full stop. Uh, and that that empowers me, my teams, my fellow colleagues to say, if it's not good enough, we're not going to do it. No matter what what money involved, what it's just not going to happen. Um, and and that in itself, I find I find very motivating. Um, and I, and I just and I think uh, I think thirdly, uh, uh, we did talk about technology. You know, this business is moving, as we call it, you know, at the speed of culture, and that culture is imbued with technology at at you know a, a, a huge you know velocity in itself. And I just marvel at the opportunities that present themselves with new technologies based on that velocity, based on that no compromise principle where everyone wants to be the head of CX and the, the, it, the possibilities are endless. And uh, it, it's, it's amazing how when the will and the technology come together, the impossible is possible. It just takes longer, right? Thank you for coming on the show. It was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it was great. Thank you for having me and thank you for the interest in Optus. Appreciate it. What an awesome interview from Charles. This is our debrief section where we sum up the key takeaway is our favorite moments from the interview and uh, put in a nice package for you to be able to implement it to your own brand or business. So, Michael, what was your first takeaway? Yeah, I, uh, I really liked how he said that the execs need to own it in terms of 
the customer experience metrics and everyone may have shared goals around that, but uh, it really falls on them. And, and one thing that really stood out to me was that they've made what sounded quite subtle and common sense, but was a really big deal, especially for a business like Optus, is that no initiative can kick off that would impact customer experience negatively, even if it makes them more money, <laughs> which I loved. And yeah. it just feels common sense, but you know, in a big, big, big corporate, that's a big bet to make. And so I, I love that one. Yeah, I love it as well. Um, kind of following on from that nicely, actually, my one of my favorite takeaways was when Charles said that everybody is the head of CX, not just Charles Weiser. Um, so, again, nice one-liner, but, you know, what do we kind of learn from that? Well, it's really, and we've spoken about this a number of times on the podcast, it's about empowering staff and making sure that everybody understands the end vision for how we delight customers and how we really make their lives amazing. And so, it's not just down to the person with the fancy job title. Right. It is actually engendering a culture within the organization that everybody has to help with this. Yes, indeed. Another one that stood out for me, we had a pretty good chat about their new CRM. Other than Cole at Country Road, we haven't heard too much about people talking about the CRM. And I sort of just want to pull this out because it's actually more critical than ever before, especially for uh, small businesses who maybe haven't invested so much in their, their CRM, so their customer relationship management software. And certainly, as we think about everything being more tech related in terms of how it can deliver great customer experience, you, you really you know won't be able to give great customer experiences without having a foundation of data about who your customers are, what they're doing, um, and really having a bit of a plan uh, to leverage your CRM because there's only going to be even more smarter services that sit on top of that CRM. So, for example, they purchased this a couple of months ago. You know, maybe they would like this and there could be a proactive uh, note that goes out about that. All these types of um, delightful things you know, are not possible without a great CRM. So, I thought that was a, a good thing to highlight. Yeah, and something kind of technical, but actually, um, you know, giving it some meaning, I suppose, which is good. Yes. One thing I really loved about uh, this discussion was, you know, Charles made the very obvious point that every business experiences problems. But uh, what I wasn't expecting was when he said that counterintuitively, customers who had problems and then had them resolved were actually more satisfied and loyal customers afterwards. Mm. I think it kind of comes down to, you know, there's something about recognizing the human side of things and connecting with a brand on an emotional level. The lesson kind of is, you know, like what Charles was saying, it's not to just create problems so that you can solve them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This would be like the most evil strategy ever. It is. Um, Let's let's grow the billing cycle this month for, you know, (laughs) these 10% of customers so we can make it up to them. Seeing problems as opportunities to strengthen customer relationships rather than just a hassle that you have to deal with. You know, we've all had that moment where you walk into a retail store and you're wanting to return something and the store staff are grumpy and they're already on the defensive before you've even begun the conversation. Right. You know, sometimes we need to shift that mindset and treat those moments as chances to delight. It's a good point. And actually, it reminds me of the Ray episode, our first episode, where you know, he kicks off talking about contacting uh, Chase, the American bank, after he'd had some fraudulent transactions yeah. on his credit card. And basically, whenever there's a moment where you're like, this is going to be high friction, this is going to be annoying, I'm going to be on hold for ages, or I'm really going to have to go and, you know, try to resolve this issue, however that may be, all those high... Um, you know, those high friction moments 
are absolute gold and actually thinking about them as gold because do you know what if you hey if you just deliver what they expect you know they're going to be surprised because they're expecting pain but if you go above and beyond and actually make that amazing then uh yeah you've won a customer for life so actually you know maybe that takeaway is like you could try to find all the areas in your business and in your role where there's going to be high friction from the customer's perspective and try to work out how you can really go go above and beyond in those I had one last bonus one, which was, do you know what? Like, we shouldn't forget about the little things that matter. You know, like it's a wonderful little story where he said, you know, the Sydney train driver just had a great attitude. Like it's a beautiful day in Sydney today. And, you know, those small things can really delight. Again, you're not expecting it. And uh, I thought that was, uh, that was a, a nice little reminder as well. So just in summary, our uh, five takeaways this one. What a, what a great episode jam-packed with uh, valuable goodness. <laughs> Indeed. So our, our takeaways were... Yeah, so the first one was really ensuring that the executive team own customer experience and that the held to no initiatives should take place that negatively impact the customer experience. The second one was that everybody in the company is the head of CX and you need to engender a culture of really wanting to delight customers. Right. Third one is uh, CRM. You know, it's really worth investing in your CRM because that really is the foundation for delivering delightful experiences. Fourth is to see all problems as opportunities to delight the customer. Lastly, let's not forget the little things. Just a little bit of humour, small delightful things can really go a long way. Well, great chat with Charles. Yeah, really, really enjoyed it. So, uh, if you've got any ideas for people that you'd like us to talk to, uh, or maybe you're a customer experience geek yourself and you think you would be great on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at michael at ratedapp.com. Or you can email me on adam at wavelength.audio. Great show. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Customer Experience Leaders is a co-production of Rate It, the market leader in on-the-spot customer feedback, and Wavelength, podcast strategy, production, and amplification for brands. This episode was produced by Nick Jones, Christopher Lawson, and me, Adam Jaffrey. And it was edited and mixed by Josh Armour. Our theme music is by Icolics, Peter Cooley, and The Shrugs. If you liked this episode, please subscribe in your favourite podcast app and tell a friend. I'm sure they'd appreciate a great podcast recommendation like this. And finally, if you're a little bit too obsessed with customer experience, like Michael and I, but you're not getting enough feedback from customers in your organization, then it's worth having a chat to the team at RateIt. You can book a time with them that suits you at the website rateitapp.com. That's R-A-T-E-I-T-A-P-P.com. I'm Adam Jaffrey. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next time on Customer Experience Leaders. Listener.